welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't kill big men with little guns, Full Moon Entertainment would go out of business. Tonight, I am once again joined by my wonderful co-host, Gabe. How are you doing tonight, Gabe? I'm doing quite all right. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm if I'm not too talkative, if I'm a bit, uh, a bit uh, shorter in my statements tonight. You know, I, I, I kind of understand that because, you know, I, I, I've been feeling a little down myself, feeling a little small in the world these past few days. Oh, just these past few days? I always feel like I don't matter. Well, I mean, that's, that's a whole other thing to deal with. But it does have quite a bit to do with the movie we're discussing tonight, which is 1991's Doll Man. So I guess, first off, I will ask you what you always ask me, Gabe. What did you think of Doll Man? I love Doll Man. I fucking love Doll Man, dude. <laughs> I genuinely... Genuinely, there was a point while I was watching this movie, and I, I looked down, I'm like, I'm already halfway through? How How am I halfway through? I've been enjoying this so far. How is this possible? <laughs> I, I I have to agree with this one, folks. This is the this this is the first movie so far that we've actually both thoroughly enjoyed. Like this is this is a good movie. This was a fun one. So uh, I suppose uh, we we're what episode six. This is episode six. Uh, I've never actually explained the conceit. Behind this podcast, I'm the one that approached you yes. to make the podcast. This was my my sick, sick idea. And the basic idea of it is, well, there's so many full moon movies, one has to be good at some point. And I didn't expect it to be now. Yeah, it's it's very early in that we've found a full moon movie that's actually really good like it's definitely one where you have to kind of appreciate it for what it is which is a cop movie with a sci-fi twist that takes itself way too seriously and right. and in knowing that that's where the entertainment comes from because like i was just laughing so hard at how seriously this movie took itself so I, I suppose a spoiler warning, I guess, since we are recommending this film. Um, do if you do have any interest in like B movies or just schlock in general, I would say go watch Doll Man. But yeah, this is actually our first say, one that we are recommending you watch. Like you can listen to our synopsis if you so choose, but we're certainly not going to do the movie justice. Exactly. So, just to give the basic idea, so are you familiar with the film um, Psycho Goreman? Uh, yes. This film gives me Psycho Goreman vibes. In that it's unintentionally funny because it takes itself so seriously? Well, we'll get into it, but the I have certain problems with Psycho Goreman as a film, but this movie does not have those problems. And it, it genuinely genuinely feels like it's a movie ahead of its time where it's parodying 
the movies that yes. Psycho Goreman is parodying. <laughs> yeah. But like a couple decades too early. Yeah, absolutely. Like this, I, I suppose that being said, we should probably get into it because we start out with your standard royalty-free ominous kind of sci-fi space music playing as yellow credits roll over a slow panning starry sky background. Space. The first name I noticed was Judd Omen, and that's actually kind of a cool-ass name. I'm stealing that man's name for something. <laughs> I do ex I do expect to see this in a future tabletop campaign. But I, I also saw Charles Band, and of course I, I expected Charles Band. He's, you know, the head of the production company, but it specifically said story by Charles Band. And I got curious. I'm like, how involved is he going to be in these films, really? And I looked him up. And for the first time, I discovered that Charles Band has his own website that links to all of his sort of production companies. And one of the production companies listed for Charles Band is something called Erotic Movie House. What? Yes, Charles Band has his own production company for erotic films. That actually doesn't surprise me. It doesn't, though this does make up for a very sad fact where, spoiler, we have, we have hit, we, our streak for tits has, has been broken. <laughs> yeah, this Sadly. is, I, I honestly didn't even think of that. I was enjoying the movie too much until you brought it up. I was making sure, which, you know, good, God bless. I'm glad this movie didn't, but our streak has ended. I'm I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, this also wasn't a horror film. This was a sci-fi action film. And you're not going to see too many tits in a sci-fi action film. Agreed. Agreed. So, speaking of sci-fi, we get just as sci-fi as we can, as we pull in to 10,000 light years away from Earth, there is a planet named Arturos. And I actually did the math. Roughly 10,000 light years from Earth lands us in the Spider Nebula and is also about 5.87 times 10 to the 16th power miles away from Earth. This is a little bit silly. They clearly just came up with a number that sounds big. Especially because people don't realize how far light years actually are. Light, right. light years are a few million kilometers. Like, one light year is about, I believe, 9.2 million kilometers? If memory serves me right from when I looked this up earlier. Yeah, they do just throw out a lot of science bullshit throughout this movie. Yeah, but like... Which is fine. They actually covered their asses in one aspect, which I will I will give them nods for, which we will discuss a little bit later, as we zoom in onto the planet Arturos and find that Caratop really fell on hard times after he stopped doing stand-up. So, the planet Arturos is just Earth. It is just future Earth. Yeah. There is literally... No difference. They straight up have cops and mayors and, and laundromats. laundromats. It's indistinguishable from something like Blade Runner. 
Yeah, they even call themselves humans. Like, I, oh, I yeah. noticed that. They straight up call themselves humans. Agreed. And the thing is, I, I later on in the movie, they, he does go to actual Earth. And I, I assumed what it was was that it's an alternate dimension. However, that's thrown out the window when it says 10,000 light years away, which would imply that we're in the same dimension, which... You know what? I'm honestly don't care because they clearly didn't think about it no. too much. No, they did. They did cover their asses on a few things, but they didn't cover their ass on this one. But as I said, we we zoom in onto a chase scene in progress between an armed assailant carrying some sort of briefcase or whatever, um, being chased by police and. Uh, taking refuge in a laundromat um, and taking a bunch of hostages, which for some reason they really focus on the fact that all these hostages are overweight. Literally what the mayor says to the uh, chief of police elections next week, and I don't need dead fat ladies on video screens all over the city, as such as a true politician would say. Oh, yeah. they. I think they reference the how how large these women are like five times between them and the kids like yeah like that's basically just their qualifier they're not hostages they're just fat people well okay so i will be honest at the beginning of this movie i didn't realize that the robber was going into a laundromat and i just assumed he had ran into a random like corridor and just found a group of huddled up women and children see that's what i thought too until we panned out and saw that the sign said laundromat and as the police are trying to figure out what to do about this hostage situation our hero shows up on the scene climbing down a fire escape and comes up to the chief of police and just like i know you're suspended but you got a plan he's just like i'm gonna do my fucking laundry so the the character are the titular doll man has the greatest uh, cop name, which is Brick Bardo. Yes. And his line delivery is phenomenal because it is completely deadpan, straight-laced, like, matter-of-fact. Well, I'm going to wash my whites and I'm going to wash my whites in warm water. Little uh, detergent and cold water for my colors. That's so. In my notes, I have right above each other is first Brick Bardo, certified badass, and then below that is Brick Bardo, color separator. <laughs> yeah, like this is our introduction to our hero, and it's hilarious. And he legitimately walks into this laundromat and starts doing his fucking laundry. It's really funny because it is just. The criminal it has his hostages. So, okay, first of all, are you familiar with that comic panel of the guy who has taped, like, a bunch of babies to himself? Yes. And is like, you can't touch me or without something very precious going splat. That's what this scene is like, but instead of babies, it's, it's women and children. <laughs> yeah. That he's literally, like, roped around him. Yes, he is literally sandwiched between two large women. And it's very funny because he thinks that is going to protect him. And he's just, all this whole time, Brick Bardo is literally just st starting up the washing machine. Like, he's measuring out his detergent haphazardly. 
And he's doing way too much, by the way. Yeah, and putting his coins into the machine, and this robber's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you, like... Hey, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And he, it's like genuinely like, Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and, of course, after he starts his laundry, Brick Bardot steps over, pulls out his gun, which I guess is some super, like, crazy fancy gun. I don't remember what the kid called it. So... The kid calls it a Groger Blaster, which is not what it is. So, here's the thing. All these sci-fi guns... In Star Wars, they used real guns as bases to build their sci-fi guns off of. Like, adding on little bits and doing it around, making it look all sci-fi. In Dollman, they literally just give him, like, a real world gun... It's like that's a space gun. No, that's a that's a magnum. I know what that is. And also just the line delivery the kid has. He's just like it's very infomercial. It's the Groger blaster. It's the most powerful gun in the world. And this is like one of the best parts in my opinion is the fact that after pulling out this gun and explaining to the criminal what would happen, he's like, it's going to shoot a hole through the fat lady in front of you, shoot a hole through you, and then go out through the fat lady behind you. And straight up, he doesn't have to fire a shot because these fat ladies just go straight into a panic and crush the criminal because they fell over. Brick Bardot, master negotiator. (laughs) But here's the thing. So... This is why this movie's good, is because it's actually written like a movie, where in another worse movie, the the woman's weight would just be played off for laughs, though in this film, it actually is a plot point, where it comes back as like, oh wait, if they just all roll on top of him at the same time. <laughs> like, he legitimately diffuses the situation by using the situation to his advantage. It, it is... It's a good scene. It is a good scene. And of course, the mayor's not happy about Bardot being on the scene at all, considering he was previously suspended from another incident. And he's telling the chief of police, I want him fired, get it off my force, and then take your sunglasses off already! It's nighttime! That is, was just so fucking funny. Uh, just him being like, why are you wearing your sunglasses? It's nighttime. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is straight, this is straight up. Brick Bardot is a loose cannon cop who doesn't play by the rules. It's straight up this, and I love it. And of course, we we move on to Bardot in his little apartment by himself, finding that the media has spun this so that He's one of those, of course, loose cannon cops who doesn't play by the rules, who um, actually shot up the place in his attempted um, diffusion of the situation to the point where there are 3.6 dead and one notice that too. and 1.4 of them are children. <laughs> and that is, again, it's a lot of random bullshit that they say. They also refer to it they say, at 11.68 at night. Um, it's like, what? <laughs> I didn't notice that, but I noticed the 3.6 dead. Both of them are very funny, and 
it, it's just one of those things where they say a complete. There's no punchline. They're just saying it. Yeah. That's just the the truth of their universe, and it comes off even funnier. Yeah, and. Of course, Bardo gets accosted in his own apartment by someone who's like, boss wants to talk to you, Bardo. He gets electrocuted or whatever while the television is going on about these sort of energy bands or something or another that does become a plot point, but you're not paying attention to it. And they mention like, oh, ships have been disappearing because of these energy bands and whatnot. And all the while, our hero is getting Bardo-napped. I can't say kidnapped yeah. anymore. He's he's not a kid. Well, the the assailant starts by shooting up his room. And then is like, hey, Bardo, someone wants to look at you. And then pulls out the weird laser men in black device that just instantly knocks him out. I know. Like, why didn't you lead with that? He could have at any time turned around and shot you. Yeah. And then we find him just sitting in the middle of a junkyard... In the brightest day. And we get the best shit that made me audibly gasp when I saw it, which is Cyber Head Drone. Severed Head on a Drone. Cyber Head Drone is, it genuinely made me go, oh, 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 when when I first saw it. Yeah, it's great. Close up shot or shot from behind when he's talking and when he's just flying using a crazy wide eyed life cast on an RC copter. It, it is a literal, like, plaster head on a little plastic, like, hovercraft that's literally just dangling on a string. Like an, a very early drone. It It is... It's just good enough for you to think that they would genuinely try to pass that off as a his real head, but it's just bad enough for you to think that they knew what they were doing. Yeah, definitely. Like, they they knew what was going on, especially because of the way they shot things. If they were trying to pass it off as meh, good enough, they wouldn't have been so deliberate with their shots. And when uh, Sprug, as we find that this severed head's name is, whenever he's talking. But also, I just, I love how wide-eyed the head is when he's just in flying mode. It's really funny. He's just like, ugh. I he is he he is completely out of it, but it they they have taken his gun from him and they have a discussion where the floating head is one of Brick Bardo's arch enemies named Sprug, who is like mm, ah yes Brick Bardo they put me back together and Brick Bardo's like yeah. And I took you apart, piece by piece. First on Alderaan Prime, where I shot off your arm. Then on that space station. What, did I take two, three legs, maybe? <laughs> and it's, it's the delivery where... And this is why I love this movie, which is not a single thing that they say is a joke. It takes itself they say, so seriously. They say some really ridiculous bullshit... But not never at any point is there like a wink at the camera or a pause for laughter. It is just straight up the most ridiculous shit you've ever seen that they are playing completely straight. And the whole time, uh, Sprug's uh, henchman is just like, I'm going to enjoy using your gun to blow you apart. How does it feel to be on the other end? And for some reason... Bardo has this magnetic field in his hand. He just puts his hand out and bloom, 
the gun just flies right back into his hand. He's like, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, okay, but first, I, w- I would like to point out one line that I really liked where Sprug is explaining his evil plan that he has like a massive bomb that's going to like tear a hole in the universe or something. They don't really explain the power of the bomb very well. But Sprug is like, I'm going to r- rule over Arturus. And Brick Bardo is like, yeah, but I'm sure you'll find some way to fuck it up. But then when Brick Bardo gets his gun, he, he points it at the two henchmen. And they just fucking explode. This is the most powerful gun in existence. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. Like literally just gun explosion and he goes up and talks to this guy who's obviously dying and still smoking for whatever. And How did he, he get that cigarette? He gives one of the worst death faces I have ever seen. You mean best. Best in that it's the worst. It's amazing. And, first of all, how did he survive? He literally exploded. Whatever, he, I don't care. He done exploded at the waist. So I'm just like, his lungs are partially obliterated. How is he still smoking? Well, now he has nothing to lose. Yeah, that's true. But Sprug escapes. He escapes to his bla- very blatant flying saucer. <laughs> yes. Very, very blatant uh, stock footage flying saucer. And Brick Bardo gets into what I would assume was one of the henchmen's vehicles to chase after him. And they're flying out of the atmosphere. And Sprug is like, you can't go. Your ship won't be able to take the the magnetic fields. And, it won't be able to handle these energy bands. Well, and it doesn't. And they're both going through that. And we get a lot of them shaking in, in like, sets. And going, ah! As they get teleported through the energy bands and they land on Earth, where the ship's computer informs us that the life forms on Earth are equivalent to six times the size of the life on our Taurus. And that is how we get our doll man. Yeah, I, I do like how they basically explained that energy bands were going to be the excuse they give for how they managed to travel so far in such a short amount of time. But if you weren't paying attention to the newscast behind Bardot when, when he was being accosted, then you wouldn't have noticed at all. But like, they still, they still covered their ass in that aspect. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, almost like a movie where there is set up. And payoff. It's almost like this was a movie. It's kind of like a movie. <laughs> Although I, I kind of wish they didn't have the uh, ship's computer explain the whole size ratio difference. Because it would have been way better if they had just let it be a sudden realization. Yeah, that would have been better, but this is like the most nitty of picks. You also can't really tell until Bardo makes himself known. Because, well, the actor is very clearly just walking around on normal-sized sets. Oh, yes. 100%. But we then get a lot of glamour shots of crime, drugs, the city, violence. There's there's quite a bit of that in this movie, and I think it was used just to pad the runtime. Oh, yeah, they they had barely any runtime. Yeah, this was the... Like, this movie could have been done in, like, an hour. Yeah, without those uh, glamour shots of the Bronx... 
this movie definitely would have only hit an hour of runtime. They needed those to barely hit feature film length. But it was also very funny to me. Like the music that they chose and then all this, the, the shots they picked for this uh, sort of expository shot was very funny to me. Oh, agreed. But we next meet one of our other main characters named Debbie, who sees a drug dealer in her neighborhood and just starts beating ass. <laughs> it's the best introduction I've ever seen. I ain't gonna have you selling this shit in my neighborhood. And she just straight, straight up kicks this guy's ass while threatening to kick his ass, throwing rocks at him, just like, I'll fucking kill you for selling this shit in my neighborhood. I'm just like, oh my god. This lady's amazing. Like, God bless. She's doing God's work. Oh yes. No, 100%. Like, she's amazing. But... And it was at this point where I was watching these shots and, like, the composition of the shots, and I'm like, oh, fuck, this is shot like a movie, actually. (laughs) This isn't just a static scene of two people walking on a flat plane. This is shot like a movie. Oh, my God. There's actually production value in this. I won't go that far. There's someone competent behind the camera. That, that, that's, that's true. Uh, we, we can thank Albert Pune for this, as I wrote in my notes, Pune, 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 Pune. The sound of the gun. <laughs> but later on, we, we get Debbie is leading the... The Neighborhood Watch. The Neighborhood Watch, right. Where one of the cops comes in and is like... All right, I'm here to help you out. I should be giving all of you my applause for all the work you've been doing. And Debbie's like, all right, cool. You got your shit for television or whatever. Now help us. They're like, well, I mean, there's a lot of people we gotta help. We can't just look at... It's clearly setting up, oh, oh, fuck the cops. Yeah, It, it definitely is setting up for the whole poverty versus the people in power keeping them in poverty, the whole class warfare, the whole cops serve the government, not the people. That kind of stuff. Almost like a movie. (laughs) Almost like a movie. But we, we cut to another scene where Debbie is leaving the neighborhood watch, she's going home, and she is accosted by 90s punks. Which is to say they are what a white person would think a gang member is, which is spray painting all of their shit like they're from a fucking post-apocalyptic movie. And they they capture Debbie, where the 90s punks uh, are going to go and kill her for fucking up their drug deals. Yeah, like they, they get to the straight up point where they're like trying to pour gasoline on her or kerosene or whatever. The guy's carrying the gasoline can and swinging it around and dancing with it like Leatherface at the end of Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> yes, the chainsaw dance. <laughs> but while she's out there getting like playfully covered in gasoline, Brick Bardot is there and he's he's starting to wake up and I have Brick Bardot, heavy sleeper. <laughs> See, I should have made more jokes like that in my notes, because the next thing I wrote was, Little gun with a big boom. The gun is so powerful. 
the gun is so powerful, even though it's so tiny in comparison, it still blows a decent-sized hole in this thug's torso. Yeah, so we should say that Dollman is is relative to humanity 12 inches high. Yeah, about 12, 13 inches tall. And he has a has a, an appropriately sized gun for that size that can kill a man in one shot. But he, he shoots the, the gang members. Some of them scatter, some of them are dead. And Brick Bardot is standing there and he's looking around as Debbie realizes that a very tiny man has just rescued her. And I have here... He, he mentions how... He's he's like Indiana Jones, where he's like giants. Man, I hate giants, <laughs> which would imply he has met giants before. See, I thought that too. I I thought that as well. But it's also hilarious because he starts walking away. Debbie's following him, and he just doesn't notice until he gets into his ship and he sees her staring into the cockpit. He's like, "Ah, what do you want? Go away, oh. lady. Go away. I got a job to do." <laughs> He's so casual about this. Yes, and she's just like, "They're they're gonna come back. We need to go." And he's like, "I'm no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with my ship." She straight up picks up his ship and starts carrying it's, him away. It's genuinely a really good punchline where he says, "Yeah, no, I'm not going anywhere." And it just hard cuts to her picking up the ship and carrying him with her. And he's just he's protesting the whole time, and you can hear him like doing that whole bumpy uh, that they do like whenever someone's getting physically rattled it's it's really funny <laughs> it's so good <laughs> also but... also the forced perspective they have to use for the tiny people is hilarious lord of the rings it is not i will say that it is not but it's still very funny it, it it works for what it's going for, and it, they very sparingly use the force perspective. You are never, we see like Dollman and another character on screen at the same time, maybe like f- four or five times with the entire movie. Yeah, and in some shots, it is obviously like CG'd one shot laid over another, but most of the time, it's using like four. Uh, some sort of forced perspective with the camera being shot from beneath for taller people or shot from above for um, someone looking down at Bardot. So, after Debbie takes Brick Bardot with her to her home, we get a another scene where we are introduced to Freddy Krueger as he discovers Sprug, who has crash-landed. Yes, the leader of this gang, I guess, when I'm just like, he does not give off that sort of leader quality. Yeah, this was the 90s where people assumed that gangs were just a bunch of local ruffians, not really, you know, crime syndicates. Yeah, I mean, that is certainly not the case here, but... Sprugs just like, I've got a bomb here. I'll let you use it, but you gotta do something for me. And Braxton's just like, okay. Cool, I love bombs. <laughs> so, we we meet back up with Debbie and Brick in her apartment. 
where we find she has a son named Kevin. And Kevin is an asshole <laughs> who literally just opens the door and lets everyone in to see the, see the doll man. Well, not, like, not hey, even, look. not even. Before that, she, Kevin assumes that Bardo and his spaceship are toys from his favorite TV show and starts right. shaking around the spaceship, even with Debbie saying for him to stop. But also... Before that bit, we get a funny scene of a cockroach coming up on Bardo and him straight up shooting it and Debbie demanding the tiny gun from the tiny man because she won't have guns in her house even if they're tiny. It's really <laughs> funny. Uh, which like, give me the gun. Give me the gun. I was like, no, I'm not giving you my gun. <laughs> and, and at that point, Kevin brings all his friends and neighbors to gawk at the tiny man and the excuse he literally gives in, what's the fun in having an alien if you can't show it off? You know what? I can't argue with you, Kevin. I also can't argue with you, but I feel for I feel for Debbie. Because I'm just like, I also would not want to have that many people in a tiny apartment. De again, it's, it is one of those things where it is done incredibly like straight, where she's like, oh my god, get out of my house. Get out of my house. Yes, hello, now get out. Just being super blunt, like, what, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> it's it's almost like this was a movie. Almost like it was a movie. <laughs> uh, after Brick and uh, Kevin, they all learn to get along a bit. We cut to the gang hideout which is the classic all-white inner-city gangs of the 90s, which is a delightful trope that I've well, noticed. Well, no, I, I saw a lot of Hispanic in that gang, but of course all the people in charge were white. Yes. We find the people that were shot by Brick earlier, and one of them is bleeding out on the... on. Braxton's pool table. And that's what he's most upset about. It, but, well, it's a real good uh, payoff where he's like, oh my god, what happened? What did you do? You're bleeding on my pool table! <laughs> I'm never... You know how much of a pain it's gonna be to get that blood out of the felt? I'm just like, I feel you there, Braxton. And then they, he also finds out that they were fucking around with Debbie. He's like, I told you not to fuck around with Debbie! And, and we learn why later. There, there is a connection between Debbie and Braxton. Was that explained? Because given that he, after this little bit, he goes to Debbie's apartment to try and sort of scare her away. My first thought was that Braxton was Kevin's dad. I don't know. Well, so she does bring up her boyfriend, I suppose, later, where he was a gang member. And what I assumed was... He died, and she she's the wife of a of one of the gang members. They're so like, okay, I guess we'll leave her alone. But also, don't fuck with us too much, though. Okay, I must have missed that bit. My first instinct was Braxton was Kevin's dad, which is why he would know about Kevin and would know where Debbie lives and would also be why he's so adamant on his gang not fucking around with her. But if she was, like, the widow of someone who was formerly in his gang, I, I that makes a, a bit more sense. 
we also get the trope of the bad guy kills his own men for no real reason, where the guy that's bleeding out, uh, Braxton just shoots him in the head, despite him very clearly still being alive. The actor does not know how to hold his breath. And afterwards, they do go to find Debbie, because he knows that they're the ones that was fucking around with the drug deal and stuff, where Debbie opens the door and just violence breaks out. Like, there is so much just gunfire, and the doll man is, like, blowing motherfuckers away, and there's so much fucking blood. It's insane. It was also very easy to clean up, I noticed, in the aftermath. Uh, give, give, a, give, give Debbie a bit of a break. She, she deserves a bit of a, a bit of a break, so I'll, I'll let it slide. True, 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 true. But it is insanely violent, where we also get a scene afterwards where she's cleaning up the blood and she's talking with Brick, and they're talking about how, like, oh, on your world violence must still be pretty common, huh? And they're talking about just violence in general and uh, sort of gang activity and stuff. And we get an actually kind of, or at least for me, emotionally resonant scene where the kid is, like, waking up and is, like, having, like, a nightmare and he's calling out for his mom where he's having, like, a trauma-induced nightmare. Yeah. Which is genuinely, like, oh my god, is this... Am I feeling emotions? <laughs> Genuinely a effective scene of this kid who just saw like a dozen men get shot in his apartment is having a fucking meltdown because that's what a cow kid would react. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's very I wouldn't say accurate, but it's it makes sense and it's it's poignant. And and we get another poignant scene later on, but first we get get to have more Sprug. I love Sprug, where Braxton comes stumbling in. He was shot by Brick Bardo, and Sprug's like, Oh, well, look, your atoms are being disintegrated. Well, I might be able to fix you. I have experience with Brick Bardo's weapons. I could probably fix you if there's no internal bleeding, and you might live. But only if you help me. And he's very deliciously evil. Yes. There is not enough Sprug. There's not enough Sprug as when Sprug, like, shoots a weird beam that heals Braxton. Uh, he's like, all right, now repair my ship and you can have the bomb. And also, like, I'm taking control here. And Brax's like, fuck you, nobody tells me what to do. And just straight up smashes him. <laughs> and squishes him under his thumb. And it's it's really gross. But also a payoff for, like, well, yeah, I guess these guys are just only several inches tall. I guess that makes sense. It's honestly so freaking funny. And that's like, that's how Sprug goes. And like, no, he wasn't right. blown up by his own bomb. He was just smashed. He was just squished. He was just squished like a bug. But also, the Sprug says that the bomb he has is powerful enough to destroy everything within three parsecs. Now that I didn't do any math for. I am confident that that is an absurdly powerful bomb to not just have on hand, but also to have connected to just a single button. Okay, so apparently three parsecs is 
5.752 times 10 to the 13th power miles. This bomb is absurdly powerful to have connected to a single button. Yeah. Like, there, you'd, you'd feel like there need to be some kind of fail-safe with that. Just... A key. A key to turn, right? Yes. But no, it's just a button. It's just a boop. It's all it is. Just a boop. Just one little boop and then boom. <laughs> just a boop, then a boom. <laughs> but we next get a scene with Brick Bardo, family man, where he's talking about his dead family. And we get a, a genuinely poignant scene of her talking about her husband that was in a gang and also describing the appeal of gangs for inner city youth where it's like, yeah, you go into a gang and they're going to give you an identity when we don't give our kids anything, when we don't give them an outlet or anything to identify themselves with, they're, of course they're going to go towards gangs because that's going to give them something. And I'm like, did this movie just make a poignant point about inner city youth? It's almost like this was a movie. Almost like this was a movie. But it's the next morning, and Debbie needs to go to her job. Kevin needs to go to school. And Brick Bardo's like, yeah, I'm going to go take care of this gang. And Debbie's like, no. Why? He He's super efficient. Why not just let him go take care of them? I suppose the movie does need to happen, and otherwise the movie wouldn't happen. We also get more runtime padding with city shots. More runtime padding with city shots, more runtime padding with Debbie at her job. Which is apparently at a toxic waste refinery? I wrote in my notes, Chekhov's toxic waste, because I assumed that the toxic waste would come back at some point, but it doesn't. Nope. Yeah, it... It's really weird, and that's what they chose for her, like, in regards to her job. Oh yeah, Debbie works at this toxic waste refinery, and then it's never mentioned again. Yeah, it is it is a little bit odd, but we do get some things of like, hey, uh, I want to join the Neighborhood Watch because you, all those gang members are now dead, and that's super hype. And we get a scene of Kevin coming home before Debbie where his friend Gerald is there kind of poking shit, and it's honestly kind of inconsequential. However, Debbie is ambushed outside of her home and is going to be picked up. Oh, and first, we should also say that Braxton's wound isn't all the way healed. He is still starting to bleed out, but he grabs Debbie and pulls her off and is going to and is using her as bait to bring in the doll man so that they can kill him. And they bring her to, I, I suppose, the the inner city cement yard? <laughs> I don't know what this area is. I don't know, but you missed the best part in that Kevin... Oh my god, you're right, I did! In that Kevin sees his mom getting ambushed and dragged into a car, and Bardot straight up is like, Kevin, get out of the way, and flings himself out the window, and they straight up throw a doll out the window! It's so good, and I... Brick Bardot, acrobat. Straight up, like I had to, wa- I had to rewatch that bit about ten times just to see 
they they actually just threw a doll at the window. <laughs> it's super funny, and we do get a few doll shots of him like clinging to the side of the car. Yes, they straight we were, up glued a little doll to the side of the car. As, as for where Bardo is hiding to uh, be taken to this scene, I'm just like, this is wonderful. This is the perfect use of the actual doll and doll man. It's really, really good. After that, he jumps off. And, and they actually did try for this scene where they built large-scale replicas of some of the areas that they were filming in. However, they did a very half-assed job. Yeah, I noticed, like, if he's 13 inches tall, a, a glass bottle would be about as tall as him, but no, it's about half his size. Right, so it it's a six-inch bottle of Coke, which is a really weird. <laughs> it's a little baby bottle. But they, they got, they're trying. They got, they got little baby cans, but not not little baby bottles. Yo, baby man. Little baby glass Yo, little bottles. Baby bottles. <laughs> It's it's also so funny. It's also so funny that this whole gang is out on patrol with like, with like heavy duty artillery for a little thirteen inch tall cop. It's it's really funny when you think of it in context of because again throughout this whole movie they're playing it completely straight. Yes, Brick Bardot, tiny cop. But Brick Bardot goes into a little cement pipe to get closer to Debbie, where he encounters a mouse, which is obviously a giant threat to him, and he pulls the gun and is like, up, oh, don't try anything. The mouse scurries off. <laughs> it's also very funny, because he gets so dirty in that scene, and then he comes back like a few minutes later, and he's completely clean. Don't worry about it. Continuity about errors. It. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And um, while this is all going on, Braxton and Debbie are talking, and she's just like, Braxton, you're hurt. And he's like, the fuck you care? She's just like, yeah, you're right. Fuck you. But Braxton, again, makes kind of a poignant point where, where Debbie's like, look, you can just stop right now, and none of this needs to go down. He's like, well, yeah, but that's what the cops want me to do. I'm not going to give them that. If I'm going to die anyways, I'm not going to die doing what they want. I kind of agree with you. Yep. It's weirdly on the nose. It's it's almost like it was a movie. It's almost like someone cared while writing this. And I do want to point out, this movie was not written by Charles Band. The only the story was made by Charles Band, which means he is only responsible for Tiny Man, Big City. So I give no credit to Charles Band. No, no, but I do give credit to Charles Band in that literally moments later, they I think they said fuck or some form of it about twenty times in two minutes. It's so funny. <laughs> I tried like... to count it. I legitimately tried to count it, and they were going so fast that I lost count. It's literally like, this fucking little fuck ain't coming anywhere, any fucking near where the fuck we are. I better fucking hope that this fuck doesn't fucking show up. We gotta, better get the fuck out of here because this place is fucking hot or something <laughs> like that. And it's, it's, it's so absurd. Yeah, it's it's so great. I rewatched that about three times trying to count how many times they said the word fuck. And I couldn't do it. They went too fast. That's why it's, it's, it's approximately about 20 times in about two minutes. It's so funny. Actually, less than two minutes. It's it's 
probably more like a minute, minute and a half. Oh, yeah. But Brick Bardo uh, comes up to this guy who's on patrol. Brick Bardo's fucking strong. Because this guy knocks him out with like a, a like a pipe. And he's this tiny little 2 inch, 12 inch man who just smacks him over the head with a stick and completely knocks him out. If he was a 2 inch man, this would be a very different movie. I'd, I might like it more. <laughs> At that point, it's just Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, except instead of Rick Moranis, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, Brick Bardo is standing, he's got the high ground, and just starts fucking unloading on these fucking gang members. And I have here, Brick Bardo, bullet sponge. Because <laughs> not a single one of these gang members can fucking hit him. And which is very funny, considering you realize a shot from an earth gun would just straight up explode Bardo. Like, he's so tiny, oh, he would be obliterated. But also, how many rounds does his space blaster hold? It's irrelevant. That is true. Like, this is the part where I started questioning everything. I was like, wait, how are they not hitting him? I guess he is a very small target, though. But how many rounds does his blaster hold? Also, why is he suddenly clean? He was calling through a very nasty pipe. Hey, Casey? Yes. Here's the secret. It doesn't matter. I know it doesn't, but my brain suddenly went into question mode. But we also get one of my favorite lines from Brick Bardo, which is he, he the uh, the guy he knocked out, his radio comes on. He's like, yo, squid, what's going on up there? And, and Brick Bardo responds, just some urban fucking renewal <laughs> as he's blowing away these gang members. And I don't know if that was in poor taste or just an amazing line, but I liked it. It was very good. Not to mention he steps on the uh, the transmitter button for the walkie-talkie that his uh, knocked-out friend was holding. And he straight-up responds with, like, yeah, homie. It's... I really, really enjoyed it. This is <laughs> such a good movie. And after the gang members have all been gunned down by Rick Bardo... Braxton and Debbie... Well, Debbie gets away. Braxton's chasing her. I will give Jackie Earl Haley this. He goes in hard during this scene. Yeah, I kept you alive and you disrespect me. I was like, oh, man. He goes in super hard when it comes to acting in this scene. I'm like, good job, Jackie Earl Haley. Yes. Like, God bless. He, so so Jackie Earl Haley is about to shoot Debbie. And Brick Bardo is standing in a mirror... Or, or his, like, his reflections in a mirror behind Braxton that I would assume is making him, like, normal human-sized, like the reflection? No, 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 no. I think what it was is it was a decoy so that Braxton wouldn't see where Bardo actually was so that he'd take his attention off of Debbie. But it was right. also great because Bardo straight up calls Braxton a fucking puke. And that kind of insult is perfect for this movie. It's absolutely amazing. So we get the greatest payoff in the movie. Where Brick Bardo drops his gun. And Braxton picks it up. And it, it, it is just a very tiny gun in a large man's hands. <laughs> tiny gun in Too big, big for hand. him to effectively pull the trigger. And he points it at Brick Bardo. And all the way from the beginning of the movie... Brick Bardo raises his hand, and the magnet thing he did before activates, and he gets the gun back. And I'm like, they actually paid it off. And oh I, my yeah, god. Yeah, I was like, you know that he's not going to use it just once. 
It's that I can't believe they actually paid that off. In a bad movie, they would have done it just that once in the beginning and never used it again. And, okay, so Brick Bardo shoots Braxton. Braxton's dying. Uh, his his arm completely blows off. Oh, his that's right. His arm gets completely blown off. Yes, because they do a little close-up on his hand with his fingers just twitching on, uh, against the uh, trigger of the gun. So after this, uh, his arm is completely blown off, and Brick Bardo's about to kill him completely. And Debbie steps in front of him and he's like, No, stop. We gotta keep this from keep the cycle of violence from happening. I'm like, but he's gonna die anyways. He's missing an arm. Yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. I guess have your moral high ground movie or whatever. But Braxton was also carrying the bomb with him the whole time. He's got the fucking bomb. And he's like, Yeah, well, we're all going out anyways, and he turns on the bomb and Brick says, run. I'm like, what the fuck? You, it's a dimensional bomb. How How is running going to help? This bomb um, has the least explosive payoff ever. It's absolutely <laughs> amazingly oversold. Where it doesn't even... like It, it is effectively like a couple sticks of dynamite. They de- the light effect definitely tries to make it seem bigger than it really is. But I think they missed out on the best possible joke where they build this bomb up the entire movie but they never explicitly say it's full explosive yield but when they set it off it's only like a very small explosion because it's scaled to the tiny planet oh you're right and they're like, I didn't even think of that that would have been so if they had never given an explicit explosive yield of this bomb I would have been like oh that's the joke It's a, it's a, it would be a massive bomb on, on the home planet but it's a very tiny bomb because it's on Earth. But they explicitly said, oh, it's going to destroy three parsecs, which is enough to destroy the entire planet. And it just ends up being very confusing when it could have been an amazing fucking joke. Yeah, but we get Debbie and Bardo having run away from the bomb and whatnot. Debbie crawls out from whatever rubble she was hiding in and finds Bardo standing... And of course, his hero pose, the sun backlit against him, and ends on the best snappy line that you know was had to be used at least once in this movie. Tell me size doesn't count. Yeah. And it ends on five minutes of credits because we really needed to hit feature length. Five minutes of credits with late 80s style synth music and montage clips of the cast. I'm willing to forgive it because the rest of the movie is really, really good. Yeah, this this was legitimately a great movie. Like, you definitely have to be in the mood for it, I will say that much, but it's a good satire of the cop movie with some sci-fi flair to it and your lead character who just takes himself way too seriously as a tiny man in a big world. Oh, yeah. It definitely feels ahead of its time. And and I'm going to bring up Psycho Gorman again, where it is a film parodying this type of B-movie schlock. Yes. But Psycho Gorman is always doing its jokes with with its tongue in its cheek and with a wink at the camera. But this movie plays every single thing straight. And I love it so much. No, this is just a very 
very entertaining film. Very, if you like B movie schlock, I definitely suggest you seek this out. Because again, it's like it is barely feature length. It's an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, you know, and like at least ten minutes of that runtime is stock footage. Like it's gonna be a quick watch. Seek it out. Watch it. It's great. Even if you did decide to just listen through our synopsis, I still recommend going to watch it because we certainly did not do this movie justice. You need to appreciate the cinematography of Dollman. Yeah. I also, our lead actor has the best name, Tim Thomerson. That's a fake name. I don't believe that Tim Thomerson exists. <laughs> what about Chud Omen? No, neither him. <laughs> Oh, but gosh. Anyway, Casey. Yes. What is next? I'm actually very excited about next week's because our next episode is Stuart Gordon's 1991 The Pit and the Pendulum, starring Lance Henriksen and Jeffrey Combs. What the fuck? Yes. So I I do I do want to do a quick um uh, citation to a previous statement on this podcast, which was that Gary Busey is the biggest name that Full Moon has ever gotten. No, Lance Henriksen is the biggest name that Full Moon has ever gotten. And he's in a movie directed by Stuart Gordon and also starring Jeffrey Combs? What? How have I not heard of this? Based off of two Edgar Allan Poe stories, because The Pit and the Pendulum... Uh, deals with both the pit and the pendulum and the cask of Amontillado. How have I not heard of this movie before? I don't know, but we're going to watch it and we are going to discuss it next week. Until then, y'all have a horrible evening. And don't forget, this might have been a movie. This was actually a movie for once. <laughs> Bye. Bye.